0: For the second week in a row, I have the great and wonderful joy of being able to preach on the parables of Jesus. The parables are some of my favorite parts uh, in all of Scripture. And like I mentioned in the children's message, we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin from Luke chapter 15. Uh, But this is part of a slightly larger section, it's actually three parables in a row. Jesus tells that all answer the same complaint from the scribes and Pharisees. The third parable uh, that Pastor Ben is going to get to take a look at next week, I unfortunately don't get to do it, but he does, uh, is the parable of the prodigal son, one of my favorites in all of Holy Scripture. Uh, So if you're able, I'd ask you again to please rise to hear from the Word of God, to hear from the Gospel of Luke. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 10. In Jesus' name. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And he comes home. He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. Lord, today I ask that you would sanctify us by that truth. By these two parables in the Gospel of Luke, I pray that you would Show us our own sinfulness and need for a Savior. God, bring us to repentance and confession once again. And Lord, also point us to Christ and his finished work for us. By your word, Lord, strengthen us for your service. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. As Luke chapter 15 opens, we find that sinners and tax collectors are flocking to Jesus and drawing near to him. In the eyes of the religious authorities of Jesus' day, this is a pretty big problem. Jesus is associating with the outcasts and those that the culture views as the truly terrible people in society, and so the religious leaders, they're not a fan of that. Jesus is also doing something uh, even worse in their eyes. He's sharing a meal with these people. For the Pharisees especially, this was something that was completely unthinkable. You see, they weren't permitted to eat with unclean people. They couldn't have a meal with sinners. But Jesus is not just welcoming them and spending time with them. He's sitting down and sharing a meal with these people. And for the religious authorities of the day, this is an incredibly offensive thing. As the Pharisees and scribes see this, they grumble and they complain about it, and they comment on what Jesus is doing, and it's in response to the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling and complaining that Jesus responds with these three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then finally that parable of the prodigal son, which Pastor Ben will have the joy of looking at next week. In the first parable of the lost sheep, Jesus begins by asking a question. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it?" It's actually kind of strange that Jesus phrases things this way and opens the parable with this question because the answer that seems obvious to us today is not the same answer that would have been on the lips and minds of a first-century shepherd. When we hear this question, we think, obviously, the shepherd is going to go out, he's going to leave the flock, he's going to track down that lost sheep, and he's going to bring it back to the fold. That's just what he's going to do, because we all know this parable so well. We know that's what's going to happen. But the obvious answer for a first-century shepherd would not be, to abandon the flock of ninety-nine and leave them to fend for themselves. The shepherd wouldn't have been happy that a sheep had wandered off and been lost, but they also wouldn't have put the rest of the flock in jeopardy just to save the one. But in our parable, that shepherd does leave the ninety-nine behind, and he seeks out the sheep that has strayed and wandered away. When he finds it, he rejoices, he throws it on his shoulders and carries it back. We might have expected the shepherd to show his anger toward this wayward sheep who put not just himself but the entire flock in danger. But instead, the shepherd shows great love and tenderness to this strayed and lost sheep. He takes it up into his arms and places it on his shoulders and carries it back to rejoin the safety of the community of the flock. When the shepherd returns with the lost sheep, He calls up all his friends and his neighbors and he throws a party. They all rejoice because this sheep has been found. In our second parable, we have a woman who has only 10 silver coins. Now, the Greek word that's used here in this passage for that silver coin is the word drachma. And that was a Greek silver coin. Its value was roughly equivalent um, to a coin you're probably more familiar with the Roman denarius. Uh, both the drachma and the Denarius were used as a, a a daily wage for your common laborer. I did some quick math uh, after googling average wages for the United States on the in, uh, on the internet, and then I broke down the pay to figure out roughly how much money in today 's money she had lost and it appears that she had misplaced about two hundred dollars. The woman in this parable lost two hundred dollars, she lost one of her ten coins, and Jesus again begins the parable by asking the question, who among you wouldn't light a lamp and sweep out the house and seek diligently until you found it? This time the answer yes is the obvious and and correct answer. I think if any of us misplaced $200 and we knew it was in the house, we'd we'd probably dig through the couch cushions and, and move things around and keep looking until we found it. And the people of Jesus' day would have responded in a very similar way. When the woman finally finds the coin that she had lost, she also calls up her friends and her neighbors like the shepherd did, and she throws a big party to celebrate the lost coin being found. The really strange part of this second parable is is that party that she throws with her friends and neighbors. I don't know how many people she invited over, but Throwing a party and providing the foods and the drink and the entertainment—it's—it's not an inexpensive thing. This party leads me to ask the question: At least, did she spend more on the party than she found when she looked for her coin and, and and found it? Jesus doesn't give us that answer in this parable, but I guess, even though it's a question that pops into my mind, the answer to it doesn't really matter. You see, these parables both make for slightly strange stories if they're just stories told about life and how life works. But we have to remember that Jesus is teaching us heavenly truth through these parables, and when we do, they make a lot more sense. Jesus makes this very clear with the last lines of each parable where he says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." And just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. These parables that Jesus tells are directly answering the, the thoughts and complaints that the Pharisees and scribes had. When they were upset about Jesus spending time and eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, or as they saw it, the worst of the worst, the outcasts and the undesirables in society— Jesus told these parables to make it clear that the grace of God and salvation and forgiveness were not just for those that appeared to be good and holy before the eyes of men. The requirement for forgiveness is not and has never been, get your life in order, make everything right, get yourself good enough, and then maybe, maybe you will earn the favor of God. Instead, God has always desired sinners to come to him, to confess their sins, to repent, and to believe that they might be saved. I think we see this for the first time in Scripture, all the way back in the Garden of Eden after the first sin. You'll remember Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge that God had commanded them not to eat from, and when they did, their eyes were opened. They realized that they were naked, and they made clothing for themselves. Then they heard God in the garden and ran and hid from them. When God entered the garden, he knew where they were. He knew full well what they had done already. He knew they had eaten from the tree. He knew they had sinned. But do you remember what God did when he got there? He spoke to them and first asked, where are you? Adam responded, I heard you and I hid because I was naked. And then God asked, did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? What was it God was looking for there? God wanted confession from Adam and Eve. He wanted repentance from our first parents. He wanted Adam and Eve to confess their sins and turn back to him in faith, but instead what he got was our first parents, our first father and mother passing the buck and trying to blame everyone else. Adam starts by blaming God and Eve, says to God, that woman you gave me And then when it falls to Eve, she blames it on the serpent, rather than simply confessing and trusting. We see this throughout the pages of Holy Scripture as well, but maybe most clearly with the prophet Nathan and King David. You'll remember that David had an affair with Bathsheba, and she became pregnant. And this led to David having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed so that he wouldn't find out. God sent his prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan told a story about a rich man who had large flocks and a poor man who only had one sheep, but it was dearly loved to him. It was like a child. And when the rich man had company, he stole that beloved sheep and he killed it to feed his guests. At this story told by Nathan, David is outraged. He said the man should be put to death and he should have to pay back restitution for his crime. As soon as David does this, the prophet Nathan points out that David was the man in that story and that he had committed that sin by taking Bathsheba and having Uriah put to death. When David hears his sin from the lips of Nathan, he confesses, I have sinned against God. And do you remember the words from the mouth of Nathan next? The Lord has put away your sin, you are forgiven. You see, repentance and faith, it's what it's always been about. Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven for the one sinner who repents than over the 99 persons who don't need to repent. Jesus was sitting with and he was eating with sinners. Why? Because they needed to be redeemed. They needed to be saved. They needed to hear about their sins, to repent, to confess them, and to believe in God and trust in the Messiah that God had sent. The Pharisees and the scribes likely didn't realize this when they heard these parables, but you see, they also needed to repent and trust in God. The Messiah was right there in their midst. God's anointed and promised Savior stood there with them, and they rejected him, and they were grumbling about how he was showing love to the rejects and the outcasts. They too needed to realize that they were like lost, that lost sheep and the missing coin. They were lost and they needed to be found. And God delights in every single sinner who repents and believes, no matter what it is that they have done. He desires that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. These parables that Jesus tells, they come with some wonderful promises, especially that first parable about the lost sheep. The promises of God are the clearest. In that parable, the sheep wanders off, and in its own foolish rebellion, it believes it knows better than the shepherd. And rather than the shepherd doing the normal thing, he chases down that headstrong and wayward sheep, and he brings him back into the fold. This is exactly what God does with us. He pursues us. He chases us down, and he relentlessly offers his grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. His offers and his promises, they keep coming. His grace never stops. But the grace of God doesn't simply come in a void, does it? As Paul says in Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, God has called each and every one of us who have faith in him to be his messengers, to bring his word, his gospel message to a lost and dying world. God is seeking out those who are lost, and he wants us to point them to the one who desires to find them. It's the same call we heard from last week's sermon text, to truly love our neighbor, to get involved in our neighbor's lives, to actually spend time with them so that you can offer those cool cups of water. You can be there to give those words of encouragement and point them to the one who lived, suffered, died, and rose again for them. see, we are truly like the lost sheep and the lost coin in these parables. And as the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, proclaims, we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So thankfully, we have a God who is prone to seek out and search for those who rebel, for those who wander, and for those that go their own way. And when God finds us, he bids us once again to repent of our sins and turn to him in faith. He promises to cleanse, to redeem, to make new, and to grant life eternal. And so now as we prepare to come once again to the Lord's table, come confessing your sins. Come confessing all of those times where you wandered like the lost sheep. Come confessing all those times that you have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. And come trusting what God offers at the table, the body and blood of your crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, which is given and shed for you and for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace We thank you that you are the good shepherd that chases down lost and wayward sheep. And Lord, we recognize that we are like those sheep, prone to wander, prone to go go our own way, and prone to sin. We thank you that your grace and mercy is never ending. We thank you that you rejoice in every sinner that turns to you. Hear again today our confession and allow us to trust in the forgiveness that Christ won for us. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.